All right. How's everybody doing this morning? Fantastic. Wouldn't worship great? Can we just honor the worship team? Yeah. Wow. I was uh, just crying <laughs> during worship this morning because I just can feel the tangible presence of the Lord, which is what we're all about here. Um, and we're going to talk more about that in just a minute, actually. My name is Andrew Fish. For those that don't know, if we have any guests, we want to welcome you. Thank you so much for coming this morning. We're glad you're here. Um, I'm the associate pastor here. You want to introduce yourself real quick? Who are you? Didn't have a microphone on. So I'm Marcy Fish, and I am a pastor here, married to Steve. That's really, <laughs> really the thing. So... Uh, <laughs> Uh, anyway, we'll, yes. We'll work on the introduction. I'm a pastor here. <laughs> she's, she's amazing. We all know that. So she, that was a very, yeah. <laughs> um, we wanted to start real quick and just recap just for a second. So for those that maybe have tuned in, maybe you're just joining us. This is your first service today. This is the end of a series called Foundations. Um, the reason we do f foundations is we, we really want to just impart the, the kind of the foundation, the, the root of kind of what we do here at Convergence, who we are, a lot of our values, the things that really matter to us. And so we've, we've gone through the series. We started with Wesley talking about the gospel, salvation. It was amazing. Was so, good. Um, so good. We've, we've talked about personal intimacy with the Lord. We've talked about worship and prayer. We've talked about connections, micro church and family. We've talked about wholeness, the Holy Spirit. These are the different sessions that have been a part of this series. And so I want to recap that and I want to encourage you, if you're just jumping in with us, go, go on our website, look at our YouTube channel and watch the prior ones because every single one has been so good. It's been so good, and this is something that we do all throughout the year. It's part of what we do here. In fact, our foundations is actually a way that you get plugged in. It's actually, you, you go through foundations in order to serve here at Convergence, so it is a high value of ours. It's, it's really important that, that you are jumping into this with us. All right, you ready? Yep. Let's do it. Yeah, and uh, so also, if you have not gone through foundations previously, but you have been here on these Sundays, then guess what? You just completed your foundations. So you, you, can, uh, you can do whatever they tell you to do about that, which I don't know, but anyway... Um, <laughs> you will have completed foundations. We ask everyone to, to go through foundations um, as you're beginning to serve, just so that you have a, 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 a real understanding of, of who we are and, and why we do what we do here. So that's what that's about. So yay, you've completed foundations as of today. Awesome. So uh, today we're talking about culture and values. Um, culture, we have actually the Webster's definition of culture. 
Uh, what Webster says is a set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterizes an institution or organization. And um, I thought that was actually a pretty good, um, pretty all-encompassing definition of culture. Um, how I think of it simply is what we do and how we do it. So basically, that's what we're talking about this morning, what we do and how we do it. And a big thing that I've learned about culture is that we have culture whether we're intentional about it or not. And that's the thing. And that was something that uh, we really learned along the way that was a pretty big thing for us to learn. Um, we have to be intentional about the culture we want to have. So about 17 years ago, Steve and I sat at lunch with Bill Johnson and Chris Valentin, and Chris said to us, you need a culture of honor. And <clears throat> that just sparked us beginning to think about, wow, like we just hadn't thought about it in that way before of our church has a culture. And we began then to look at our church culture. What do we love about our church culture? Where do we need to grow? What things need to grow in our church culture? What is actually dysfunctional in our church culture? Um, and, you know, you really need to do that. You, you know, and, and we realized, like, <clears throat> we began to do it in every way. Like, in my own self, what's my own culture like? our family, you know, whatever we are a part of to know and understand the culture and to see those places where we need to be more intentional about growing or even changing something about our culture. So that started um, a process for us. And as we looked at our culture, we saw that we were really strong in worship. We were strong in prophetic. We were strong in love. And those are big things to be strong in, and we're always ever growing in those. And we realized there were areas we were not so strong in, and we needed to be more intentional about. And one of those was establishing a culture of honor um, and growing in that. And so we began all those years ago to be very intentional about that. And we have grown so much in that arena. Um, we have so grown. We have strong relationships. We have great conversations that are filled with grace and honor. And, you know, that all sounds great, maybe even sounds easy. But if you've been part of church very long or family, you understand that is not easy. <laughs> And there were blood, sweat, and tears along the way of that journey. But, you know, we've had successes and we've had failures. But we learned from both of them. And we continue to learn always. And as we began this journey of culture of honor, you know, I won't go into it too far because we don't have time. But in a culture of honor, you also, you know, develop vulnerability as well. 
and you establish a culture where it's okay to ask questions, to give feedback, and and to go straight to the person that you need to have a conversation with rather than having a conversation about someone where you have a conversation with that person. And we learned that one of the biggest tools in that was asking questions. And so as we began this journey, people began to come to me and say things like this. When I was praying for someone at the end of the service, you looked over at me and I could tell you didn't like what I was doing. So can you tell me what it was? Because I don't want to do that anymore. Well, my eyes must have gone in that person's direction, but I never saw them. I didn't know they were praying for someone, never had a negative thought about them. And so I was able to communicate that with that person, and they were free to continue praying for people without worrying about that or without having to have a conversation with someone else about that or have a negative feeling about me in that. And I'm saying that to say that that's what the enemy is constantly trying to do. The enemy's mission is a divide. Ultimately, he wants to conquer he can't ever actually conquer, but he will continue to try to divide and cause hurt and harm all the time. And so much of the time, those negative things that come to us many times are not even real. And if we will ask about that rather than assuming what we feel is the correct thing, then many times it will just dismantle it right then and there. And then there may be times, you know, where we have to have a, a more of a conversation because actually those feelings were real, and that's okay, and we do that as well. But um, we have really established such a beautiful, healthy culture here, and, and I'm, I'm really happy to be able to say that. So, yay. So, also... What we want to do in our culture is build the culture of heaven. Ultimately, that's what we want in our church culture, right? <laughs> we want the culture of heaven, right? So, building the culture of heaven is infused with his supernatural ability to do that. And it's also something we put our strength and intentionality into. That's what we've learned. So we then, that brought us to being um, intentionally articulating our values. Because basically in our culture, our values are our whys behind our what's. So ultimately we want to be intentional about this culture we're building together because we want to reflect the nature of God. And we want to reflect culture of heaven on earth we want to do that corporately together and we want to do that as individuals and as families so good news is he tells us in his word that we're always being conformed to the image of christ so we're always growing we're always learning we're always able to be even more intentional about the culture of heaven as we grow from glory to glory, our culture becomes his culture. And that is ultimately what we want, right? 
So that is why the enemy's all about trying to get in there and mess it up, right? Because the culture of heaven on earth is what God's plan is. <laughs> That's what Jesus said to pray. That's what Jesus said to ask for. That's what Jesus talked about when Jesus was here. He kept trying to tell people, this is the way heaven works. This is the culture of heaven. This is what I'm trying to tell you. That That's not part of the culture of heaven. This is. So we're just in this intentional, ever-growing process of establishing the culture of heaven right here, right now, together, and as families. So, yay, that's exciting. Andrew has some things to say about that also. Yeah, I think the big thing about culture to me is that I think it can, it can be taught, but I think it has to be modeled. I think typically a healthy culture has to be modeled, and I, I even think of Jesus when I think about this. So you can teach culture, but it won't stick unless it is modeled. I think we can teach all we want, but if your teaching doesn't line up with what you're doing, people are going to do what you're doing. I've realized that over and over again. Like, as a leader, you, I can teach amazing messages, and I can get up here and preach, but if you don't see my life reflecting fruit, you're going to be like, hey, hold on a second here. And that's exactly the same with culture. Like, we can teach culture, and we need to teach culture. But at the end of the day, you need to see the values that we have. You actually need to see that happening. My life needs to reflect that. That, I think, is when culture sticks. It's the only way that it really sticks. So the way in which we do things and the habits that we have dictate our culture. And so coming out of culture, I think we have this, we have culture, but then we have values. And I think to me, values are the first foundational step in establishing culture. So you have this thing called culture, and then you're like, what in the world is that? Well, it's actually the values that you have. And the first thing I want to say is this isn't just like, wow, this is really good leadership training. Jesus had values. You could see it all throughout the Bible. He did both of those things. He both taught and modeled them. And we can see them in Matthew 5. So when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, I've really been in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus goes into what, uh, what we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, or the meek, some translations say, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And he continues to go down this list. And if you, if you take that list and you begin to pull out key words, you begin to see, what does he value? He values mercy. What does he value? He values righteousness. What does he value? Peacemakers, love, honesty generosity, and you can go throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount, and you can read these values that Jesus has, and he's communicating to everyone there. He's saying, hey, this is what matters. These things matter, and so I think he taught and modeled kingdom values, and we have to look at that like the life of Jesus is what we look to when we're like, what kind of culture do we want? 
well, we don't want to just create an earthly culture. We want a kingdom culture. How do we know what a kingdom culture is? We look at the life of Jesus. <laughs> we look at what he established on earth because, as I read earlier when we talked about prayer, Matthew 6, on earth as it is in heaven, that only comes through kingdom culture. It's not going to come through our man-made ways of looking at things. We have to get his values. So Jesus taught and modeled kingdom values. And so the, the next thing I want to do is I want to go through our values. We have 10 values, and they are presence, communication, generosity, authenticity, honor, health, empowerment, excellence, accountability, and celebration. Now, this is obviously, we have, we have a lot of other things. Like, this isn't an all-encompassing list. But these are the things that when, when we as a staff and when, when we just prayed about, hey, what, what are our values? These are the things that, that really came to the surface were these ten things. And so we're going to go through each one. We're not going to spend a ton of time on each one. We may spend more time on others. But this morning, we want you to catch these, these values. So we're going to start with presence. There is nothing more important than his presence. Amen. <laughs> or else we wouldn't, I, I don't want to be here if that's not true. I want to be here because his presence is what I'm after. I'm here because I want this place to be a place that is after the presence of God. So we pursue the presence of Jesus first in our focus our meetings, and in our relationships. And like even this morning, when you walked into the room and we began to worship, the presence of Jesus is present here. He is here. He is here. And I, I was on a trip recently to Mississippi, and we, we ended up getting a little turned around. I ended up making a wrong turn, so much to the point now that my daughter, when we're traveling, she will go, Dada, wrong way. And I'm like, no, Addy, don't worry. This, this time I'm going the right way. <laughs> but this, this, this time I was going the wrong way. I had taken a wrong turn. Probably, you know how it is. It probably added 10 minutes to our time, just one tiny detour. And we end up going through all of this farmland, like in the middle of nowhere, you know, Mississippi. I don't even know where we are. I hope that this road takes me where I need to go. And there's all these fields, and there's all these flowers, and I just found myself just with the Lord, like, Lord, I don't know why I took this wrong turn, but is there something you want to say? And I felt him say this to me. He said, in my presence, there are endless possibilities. And as I began to look at the field and the flowers, I began to think about farming and seeds and growth and just the possibility that an open plot of land reveals. You could do so many things with it. Well, his, in his presence are endless possibilities for your life. There are endless things found in his presence. All right. Well, there's so much we could say about this, obviously. This is, this is what we live for. This is... This is our breath of life, his presence. Um, it's our intimate why behind every what that we do. Um, we can 
know about the culture of heaven and have a desire to reproduce it, but it doesn't all happen on our own strength, right? We can know a lot about what the culture of heaven looks like. We can know a lot about his presence, a lot about God, but ultimately we engage with him and he works as only he can work, right? It's not by our own strength. It happens as we seek him, as we seek first the kingdom and all these things are added to you. So Exodus 33 is one of my most favorite passages of scripture about its presence. And I could talk about it, like I said, for so long. It's so amazing to me. And in this passage, God's telling Moses, y'all go on into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. And Moses response and the people's response here's what Moses said if your presence does not go with us do not send us from here so basically God was telling them you can have all this that I have promised you for all these years you can have it all but I'm not going with you and they knew then that having it all without his presence meant nothing right they knew it And they said, we're not going if you don't go with us. They had everything offered to them, and they got it. They knew in that moment it didn't mean anything without his presence. And that is the way we live. That is the way we approach everything. God's presence marks us. God's presence molds us. God's presence conforms us into his image and conforms our culture into his culture. We begin to value what he values. We begin to desire what he desires. And I heard something. I heard the Lord say something to me one time that really marked me. And he said, people just want to know what I look like. People want to know what I sound like. People want to know what I feel like. And I just, in that moment, I just had that revelation of, That is what I want to do on the earth. I want to be so engaged with his presence that when people around me, they they know what he feels like. They know what he sounds like. They know what he looks like through me. And that's what we want our church to be. We want our church to be a place where people come and encounter God. That's always been our number one desire. That has been over and over and over and over the testimony of our church. People come and encounter God. They come and experience what he looks like, what he sounds like, and what he feels like. So his presence is what gives us the power and ability to cultivate his culture, right? Our best efforts can never do what his presence can do. Steve always says, one moment with God, one word from God changes everything. Why does his presence change everything? This is a good question to ponder. (laughs) Why? Why does his presence change everything? Because his presence changes us. Ultimately, One moment in his presence, one word from him changes us, right? 
that's the thing. We just come and we, we want him to have his way. We give him the room. We give him the time. We give him the gathering. We give, him, we give it all to him. However he wants to direct, redirect, you know, if he says, no, actually don't sing that song you practiced a million times. <laughs> actually don't say that, what you wrote down. We'll do that. Because it's about him. It's about what he wants to do. And he's the one that knows. He's the one that knows what he wants to do in us, right? And, and it's amazing to me how we all come together. We gather together around his presence. We soak in his presence. And God does different things all over the room, right? Depending on what we all need individually, he's ministering to each one of us individually with what we need even though he's also doing something corporately it's amazing and beautiful and that is always the way we want to have church yeah i i like to say his presence changes lives it's not just a catchy slogan it's literally all we have (laughs) i can honestly say that having gone through a very difficult season, there is nothing else that will sustain you. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 18, I think it is, it says knowledge puffs up. And I'm not saying we need knowledge, but I don't want to be a Christian that knows all the knowledge, but I don't have an understanding of his presence. I'm not, th- I'm not there with his presence because what happens is if I'm focused on knowledge, when trials come, the trial is going to actually cause me to fear. But if I'm focused on his presence, I'm not going to veer because I'm focused on the one in whom I know sustains my life. That's what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight when he said, come to me, all you who are weary, and you will find rest. Because you know rest isn't found in knowledge. It's not found in culture. It's found in his presence. In his presence is fullness of joy. Pleasures are forevermore. That's in the presence of Jesus. And so I think it's important as, as we start with this, like this is who we are. We're after his presence. We can preach. We can sing. We can do all of these things. But we're desiring that his presence goes with us. That his presence be the distinguishing factor between us and the world. In that same passage, Exodus 33, if you look at verse 16, Moses asks God a question. He says, Lord, isn't it your presence that distinguishes us from other peoples? It's like Moses is saying, listen, I don't want that without you. I want your presence because I don't want to just be like everyone else. I want to be like you. And being like you means being set apart, consecrated to his presence. I could preach on that for 45 minutes, so we better, we better change, change gears. All right, communication. We value communication. So we commit to clear, timely communication that values our vision, our culture, and our relationships. And one thing I want to say with some of these two is, is what I love about values is values is something, it's, it's who we are now, but it's also who we're becoming. Yes? Can I, can I throw my hand up and be the first one to say that I need to grow in communication? I need to grow in communication. And I think we would all know if, 
you're in a relationship, if you're married in this room, you know that communication is a high value. Like, things tend to go the wrong direction when there's not communication. When we're not talking to each other, when we're not sharing and being in that place with each other and communicating our heart, things tend to not go well, yes? And so we, one of the important things is communication is key to us all heading in the same direction. And this is the reason why we have our mission statement, which is encountering Jesus and transforming cities with his power and love. This is us communicating, this is who we are. This is what we're after. We're after encountering Jesus, and we're after seeing cities transformed as we encounter him through his power and his love. This is us communicating that vision. And so communication is really important. Clear, timely communication brings clarity of focus and improves the health of our relationship. But sometimes, communication requires us to slow down, and we have to check our communication channels, and we have to take time to communicate where we need to communicate. I've learned this as a leader. Sometimes, not everybody just picks things up the same way that I think, right? And so sometimes, what I have to do is, I have to communicate things in such a way where everybody's going to understand, not, not just the way that I hear it, that I see it. Um, this is why I love the different love languages, right? That's a form of communication, right, with your spouse when you're in a relationship. The love languages, like how does each person receive communication differently? That's important. And many times we have found that the stress in a relationship was coming from a need for greater communication clarity. So that's all I'm going to say is communication helps us build together in greater unity. So that's, that's the importance of it. That's the reason why we have this mission statement. We're all rowing in the same direction. Where are we going? Jesus and transforming Fort Worth with his power and love. That's where we're going. And so we're communicating this over and over again. And some of you are like, why are they saying that mission statement again and again and again? Because we want it to be so in your mind that you don't even have to think about it. You know what's going on. Oh, we're encountering Jesus. What's the next step? We're going to take it into our city. It's just in, it's in your mind and then it becomes part of who you are as we communicate it. That's the value of communication. Yeah, and I will just add in that, that transforming cities includes individual people, right, and families. So everything we do here um, for individual people, for families, for children, all of the things are included in that. It's not just out there somewhere transforming cities. It starts here. It starts with us. It starts with discipleship here. It starts here and we take it out and it's all included in this and so yes communication can't tell you how many times you know we've had to um, learn this oh we forgot to communicate <laughs> so you know it's it's great that we're we're all on this journey together right and there's lots of grace so the next value is generosity 
We give abundantly out of a heart of love. So, so simple. We give abundantly out of a heart of love. So simple. But I believe it, it's radical. I believe generosity reflects the heart of God like few things I know. I believe generosity is at the core of the nature of God and the values of his kingdom. Generosity reflects God's heart in such a big way. All through the Bible, it says things like God is abounding in love. He's generous with love. He's rich in mercy and grace. He's generous with those. He gives wisdom generously. He forgives as far as the east is from the west. That's very generous, right? He's generous with his love, his mercy, and redemption. Jesus, when he was on earth, so many times he offended, he actually offended people by his generosity. He was generous towards the poor. He was generous towards prostitutes, tax collectors, lepers, and his friends. He demonstrated the generosity of God in everything that he did. He turned a few fish and a little bit of bread into more than enough, right? He was thankful when Mary demonstrated her love in an extravagant way by breaking open an expensive bottle of perfume. He pulled money out of a fish's mouth to help his friends pay their taxes. He turned water into wine at a wedding to help his friends. He was just generous. He was generous with who he was. He was generous with his love, with his power, with his grace, with his mercy. He healed people. He restored hearts and minds. He generously gave what he had to give. And there's some obvious passages of scripture that we're familiar with about generosity, especially in regards to resources, finances. One of the most familiar is 2 Corinthians 9. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So that's a very obvious passage that God loves generosity. And one of the things that just the themes that continues in what Jesus, I feel like, tried to communicate so many times while on earth is that actually giving away is what creates opportunity for multiplication. It's not holding on tight to something. It's actually giving it away. And that's what this passage is saying. You give generously and then it multiplies, and then you have more to sow, right? So you can continue in generosity. So not, some, not so obvious passages about generosity that I wanted to highlight quickly today. One is Matthew 25. It's the parable. It's, it's what we call the parable of the talents. Um, the NIV says calls it gold. They were given gold. So basically they were given treasure. 
And it's the story of these people were given treasure and some of them went out and gave it away in such a way that caused it to multiply. One person buried it. So when they came back to the master who had given them the talents or the gold, he was upset with the one who had buried it and, and not done anything with it. And, 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 the, and the, the guy said to him, you know, I was afraid. I buried it because I was afraid. And so many times that is what keeps us from generosity is fear. But actually it's when we give that it, be, it gets to multiply. And Jesus just said it over and over. Another one is Matthew 20. And that's the parable. That's the story of the workers. Some of the workers were hired in the morning. Some were hired later in the day and didn't work as long. And they all got paid the same. And, of course, that felt upsetting to the ones who had began work in the morning, right? So they were trying to have this conversation like, what? Why are you doing that? And Jesus says, are you envious because I am generous? And it, again, it's like his generosity was offensive. Um, I would feel that way if I started work in the morning and somebody started late in the day and got the same as me. I'd feel that way. We would naturally feel that way. But that's what Jesus kept trying to say is your natural thinking has to shift. Your natural thinking is not the culture of heaven so many times. But we are now new creations and able to begin to shift the way that we see things to be the way that he sees things. And so generosity is to me such a beautiful way that we get to reflect the nature of God. And it's so freeing. So I so often try to remind myself, be generous with your love. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your money. Be generous in relationship. Don't hold back out of fear. And, and, I, and I just, I just want to pray really quick. Jesus, right now, any way that we are holding back in any area as a result of fear, we ask right now that you, your love would come into those places and that you would shift our minds and our hearts to see the limitlessness of your kingdom and to see the multiplication that comes from generosity and to free us from all fear in this area in Jesus' name. All right. Authenticity. Number four, we create an atmosphere for people to be open and honest by leading in vulnerability and transparency. This is a very high core value for me and something that has taken me a little while to get to, <laughs> to get used to, is leading through vulnerability. And um, Jesus, one of the ways that he discipled was he let the disciples see who he was as he led, right? And I love that, that saying about intimacy, you know, you could kind of pick that apart and say, into me you see, right? That is it. Like, intimacy is into him we are seeing. 
Well, I want that to be true as a leader, and I want that to be true for us. Like, I want people to be able to see me not for who I appear to be, but for who I really am. I want them to be able to see the real me, the genuine Andrew. This is who I am. I'm not going to pretend to be someone else. I'm going to be authentically me. And I think it's important to say, like, you being you is what the body needs. The world needs the authentic you. It doesn't need who you think you should be, who social media says you should be. The grass is greener over here, so I'm going to be that. They need you. They need your story, your testimony, your walk, your history with the Lord, your gifts, your talents. That's what we need in this house. And I just want to empower us. Like, we want you to be fully you. And I just think there's this unlocking like, we're going to unlock the gifts, the talents, the abilities that you have, and we want to empower that. And so I just, like, family means creating a place where you can be fully you. That's when a family is healthy, right? A family is healthy when you can really be who you really are. You can share your struggles. You can be transparent. You can be vulnerable, it took me years before I was willing to get on a stage and share my full testimony. Years. And, and it was a struggle the first time. I was like, I don't want people to know this about me. They're going to think less of me as a leader, less of me as a person. And what I found was completely the opposite. I actually found that my story actually brought breakthrough. Every time that I share my testimony now, every time about being free from pornography and having gone through that for 13 years, every single time someone comes up to me and they're like, I need prayer. And I get an opportunity through my testimony to release freedom because I was willing to be vulnerable. What would happen if we were willing to be so secure in who God made us that we broke off the spirit of fear and we said, I'm going to release what my, t- my testimony and my story and I'm going to be vulnerable and because of that, the Lord's going to use it to bring freedom. He's going to use it to bring people into the kingdom and he's going to use it to bring heaven on earth. Come on. That's what we need. We need to break off this fear thing that says, be afraid of your story. That's not God. We do not need to be afraid of our history. I don't care what it looked like. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of your past. Instead, step in out of fear and allow the Lord to use your story to actually touch other people's lives. That's authenticity. Being real. Honor. Honor. Honor is the next value. And the we create, this is the, the actual value. We create healthy culture and relationships by speaking honorable words, engaging in courageous conversations, and valuing honest feedback. And I've already talked a little bit about um, honor today, so I'm not going to go any more into that one. But this is why we we have courageous conversations and, and we value feedback. Um, and this is um, something that we go back to again and again and again to govern our relationships. 
Yes. Honor is really important. If you want a resource, read A Culture of Honor by Danny Silk. It'll rock your boat, man. It's a good book. Um, it's a book that, honestly, we should read every year. That's how good it is. So health is number six here. The next one, we cultivate health by prioritizing his presence. We talked a lot about that. Our families care for our bodies and hearts and value for those around us. Um, Jason did such a great job of talking about families last week, so I kind of wanted to focus on just care for our bodies and our heart. Um, I, I'm a firm believer in that we need to be good stewards of the body that God put us in. It's actually biblical to not just take care of your spiritual health, but your physical health, right? Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? This is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify glorify God in your body. So there's care for our body, and I think sometimes I will be the first one to raise my hand, do not put enough high priority on this. But the truth is that the Lord does want us to place value on taking care of the temple, right, that is our body, taking care of ourselves, um, and taking care of our hearts as well, you know, um, Solomon in Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Watch over your heart. Jesus in John 14.1 says, do not let your heart be troubled. Right? He's talking to the disciples. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. And he says, believe in me. So do not let your heart be troubled. Why? Because of me. So we, we, a heart, our heart has to be fully occupied by Jesus. That's how we get a healthy heart. And so I just want to say your heart is of utmost importance. Like, I, I'm, I'm not going to dive deep into this. If you want to listen to my message from last year called Processing Your Heart, I talk a lot about what it looks like for us to get our hearts healthy. I don't think that there's anything more important right now than we could focus on than getting our hearts healthy, guarding our heart, watching over our hearts. And so I just want to say, fill your heart with truth. Prioritize spending time in his presence, both here corporately, but also personally. Finding that time with the Lord, intimacy with the Lord, your quiet time with him. Um, soak in his presence, listen to him, let him love you. Like, l be in that place of his love, and your heart will begin to get whole. Your heart will find healing in his presence when you spend time with him. Empowerment. Empowerment. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this either. We're obviously running out of time here. This is a lot. Everybody take a deep breath. Okay. This is a lot. So all I want to say about empowerment is we create a culture where everyone is empowered to live in the fullness of their identity, gifts, and leadership. We believe everyone's a minister, everyone's a leader, and we want to empower you to step into the fullness of who God created you to be. You are empowered to be you here. That's all I'm going to say about that. All right, excellence. We take ownership and responsibility for everything we do to put forth our best. I love that passage in Proverbs twenty-two, twenty-nine. 
Solomon says, do you see a person skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. I love that. Like the Bible talks about skill. It talks about excellence. It talks about being, like being excellent at what you do. Um, and so I just think excellence is important. Colossians 3, whatever you do, do your work heartily as before the Lord, right? So whatever I am doing, I'm going to do it with my absolute best as if I'm doing it for him. That is what excellence looks like. And so it's doing the small things as best as we can. And so we, we value excellence here in this house because it blesses the Lord when we put forth our best effort. It blesses him by us being excellent at what we do. Accountability. Accountability. We remain accountable to each other to pursue purity, integrity, honor, and humility. So all I really want to say about that is accountability requires vulnerability. And it requires uh, all of us to have a safe place to be vulnerable. And that's what we want for everyone. Our small groups, one-on-one relationships all create an opportunity for that place to be vulnerable, for that safe place. Call for help when you need it. Share your struggles. And... Speak words of hope in life when someone is sharing their struggle. Um, we get to be the ones to call each other into always up into who we really are. So we love, love that value. And the last one is celebration. Woo! All right, that was decent. We'll work on it. I didn't prep you guys beforehand, so. We make time to share testimonies and celebrate wins. This is an awesome value, getting to celebrate what God has done. I, I'm a firm believer in this. I, I think that we need to, va- I think we don't value celebration enough sometimes, actually. And I think we need to celebrate what he has done. Like testimonies, celebrating every victory regardless of if it's big or small. And celebration communicates two key things that I feel. One is honor, right? We've talked a lot about that. When I celebrate what God has done in Paige, I'm honoring. I'm honoring her, right? And I'm honoring the Lord as well. When I celebrate, I also am communicating thanksgiving. It's a high value that we have in this house. So when I'm celebrating Daniel, Audi over here, I'm I'm actually If the Lord has done something amazing in Daniel's life, as I celebrate him, I'm actually thanking the Lord for what he's done through Daniel. I'm thanking him. And we all know that verse, enter his gates with with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So as I celebrate Daniel, I'm thanking the Lord, which is then entering his presence, which is then allowing something to be birthed in my heart that authors faith. And so we don't have time to dig into this a ton, but in Revelation 19, um, 10, John here is saying, "Then, uh, then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, do not do that. So John here is worshiping, he's stooping down, he's worshiping, but he's worshiping an angel, right? And so he's worshiping an angel, and so he's like, no, don't worship me. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brothers and sisters who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
So here's what I love about this passage is he's saying, hey, you have the testimony of Jesus inside of you. Every time you release that testimony, what you're doing is you're allowing Jesus to do it again. That's what that means. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's like, hey, here's what the Lord has done. He can do it again. He can do it again. And so that's a large part of what celebration does. When you celebrate what God has done, it creates an atmosphere of faith for him to do it again. How many of you have felt faith enter a room when somebody shares a testimony? Yeah. It's been a huge element, I think, of how we see healing even. We, we release the testimony of seeing Jesus heal someone, and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, you're telling me I could get healed? Yes. And Jesus wants to do it now. And so we're going to share, you want to dive into the testimony? Yeah, um, we are not going to share as many testimonies as we had planned because uh, we are running out of time. But don't worry, the testimonies will happen, just not all today. So, come back next week and hear more testimonies. So, everybody stand up. So, Regina, would you come up, though? Um, Regina is our children's pastor and arranged to be in the service at this moment to give this testimony. And can't guarantee I can pull her out of the kids' ministry again next week. So, I want her to share as we end um, something that she saw about our church that I think is really beautiful and we can celebrate as we go. Yes. So recently my husband and I were watching a show about Charles Spurgeon and they were t uh, talking about his early life and they're reading from his journals and he was talking about this struggle. He's like, I knew the truth of the Bible, but I felt yucky. I just didn't feel free. Some people talked about being free, and I did not feel that way. And he ends up in this random little church, and there's a pastor preaching to four or five people, um, and he comes in to get out of the rain. <laughs> he's like, but I'm hearing this pastor, and he's telling me about Jesus and how he is the way for me to be free. He is the good news of the gospel. And Charles Spurgeon's life was marked that day. He's like, I got saved. I got transformed because of Jesus. And uh, so we're watching this, and I'm like, whoa, I didn't really know all this, these things. And then so we're watching this show, and it says, that church has a plaque on the outside. It says, this is the church that Charles Spurgeon, the pastor of the people, got saved and encountered Jesus. And I was like, that is so cool. I wonder, like, what would that would look like if churches in America did that? Like, that is really cool. And Jesus nudged me. He said, ask me about convergence. Isn't that funny how he gives us, ask, ask me. I know, wink, wink. I said, God, what would that look like? How many plaques? What would that look like at Convergence? Immediately, he says, it would cover the walls. It would cover the walls all over of people who got saved, who encountered Jesus as the truth, that the good news is Jesus and is not about works, that you can encounter Jesus at Convergence. So if I've actually shared this with a couple of people, and you know, they immediately said, I'm one of those plaques. I'm one of those plaques. My name is on the wall at Convergence. I got transformed at Convergence because I encountered God. So maybe your name is on one of those plaques, and if it's not, it can be. 
All you got to do is buy all the way in and show up. Just encounter Jesus. It's not about work. Just encounter Jesus. Everything that Marcy and Andrew said is true. Everything that Steve says is true. Jesus and all of the leadership. Every person that you've talked to here has encountered Jesus. And if you haven't, grab someone today. Don't go a minute without encountering Jesus and being set free. Because we want the authentic you showing up here and everywhere that you go. You can do that. You, there's plenty of room for more plaques at Convergence in your home and wherever you go. Let's do it. Show up. Yeah, come on. All right. Kim Audi is going to tell us what is, is what we're moving into in Engage, and then we're going to be going on our way to encounter God do ourselves. You, do you mind if I pray for us real quick? Can, can we pray? I just feel like after that testimony, we need to pray. So can, can everybody put your hand on your heart? Jesus, we thank you that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so, Lord, I thank you for that testimony that Regina shared. We thank you for the plaques that are on this wall of encounters, the moments that we've encountered you. And, Lord, I'm asking this morning that you would encounter hearts. Lord, I thank you that this is a place where we pursue your presence at all costs, God. And so I'm asking you, Lord, this morning, Lord, I'm asking that every person would leave this room with, a, with this faith that you're authoring faith. I just see him this morning with a paintbrush, and he's painting faith over hearts for a deeper encounter with him. He's painting hearts. He's painting faith over hearts that have been weary, that need more of him. So Jesus, we just say we as a people will come before you and we make this place yours. We make our hearts a place where you can come and where you can rest on us, where you can rest on us. And Lord, even as it says in Ezekiel, when they were building the city, they called the city, the Lord is here. And I just declare, Convergence Church, this will be a house that will be called, the Lord is here. The Lord is here. The Lord is here. With the Lord is here. We want to be good at one thing, and that's pursuing the presence of God. We will be like Moses that will say, if we, if you are not going, we won't go. We will only climb the mountain that you're climbing. So Jesus, this morning, Lord, I'm asking for a fresh wave of encounter as we leave. I ask you that this would not just be about corporate encounters, but personal encounters, Lord. Jesus, would you mark hearts in this room? Would you break off fear in this room? And would you release us through the culture that we are creating as we're following you to walk in the fullness of everything that you have for each and every person in this room? Every family, every marriage, every relationship, every single person, every single person in this room, Lord, allow us to walk in your fullness as we pursue your presence together as a church. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on, if that's in your heart, just say yes. Yes. Sorry. Yes, and next week we're going to focus um, in the service on encounters. I'm going to talk about encounters, so please come back. Bring everybody you know to encounter God next week, okay?